0: And uh, I'm part of the apprenticeship program here at Fellowship Bible Church. And uh, Tim Sanford asked me to do this uh, sermon series recap. Um, I think the mic was cut out a little bit, but just again, my name is Micah Dirksen. I'm very happy to be here with you guys this morning. Uh, Tim was actually one of my Bible school teachers uh, in Michigan several years back. So I'm very thankful to have sat under his teaching for a few years. Uh, and now very thankful that uh, he's here as one of our pastors here at Fellowship Bible Church. It's, it's really a blessing. Uh, so last week, uh, we began our study in the book of 2 Peter, and the sermon series was entitled Grounded and Growing. And Peter, uh, this is the second letter that he's written to these group of believers and it is nearing the end of his life so he is about to to pass on to die and he decides to write this letter and the purpose that he has for this letter is actually very similar to what i'm trying to do here this morning uh, to remind you guys about things that you've heard about things that you already know that was Peter's purpose as well in writing this short letter. Uh, look at Second Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 12. Peter says, Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus has made clear to me. So with that in mind, these reminders that Peter wants to bring to the front of these believers' minds, he has really three main ideas that he wants to express to them, and that's laid out nicely in the three chapters we have in First Peter. And Tim gave us this breakdown. Chapter 1 is all about principles for spiritual growth. Chapter 2 is warnings for and about these false teachers that are going to come into the church. And then finally in chapter 3, it's this discussion about things to come, about the end times, how to, how to view that uh, correctly. So last week, Tim walked us through chapter 1, and he highlighted several important um, principles of spiritual growth. So first, Tim talked about knowing God and his provision for our sanctification. God's provision for this walk that we have with him, of, of God progressively making us more and more conformed to his image. So uh, look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. Peter says this, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Those verses tell us that God has given us Every single thing necessary for life and godliness, the moment we trust Christ as our Savior, everything that we need for growth and maturity is ours because of what Christ has done, because of our new identity in him. And it's then out of these promises, as we trust, know, and depend on them, God will do his sanctifying work in us as we consciously and dependently rely on him for that. An amazing thing. Tim also mentioned this important idea about knowledge. This idea that knowledge is uh, this, this amazing personal reality that we have with the Lord, to know him intimately. That's the privilege we have as believers in Jesus Christ. The second main thing that Tim highlighted was our partnership with God, our partnership that we have. There's this word diligence that's used uh, multiple times. Be diligent to rely upon these promises. um, And that takes a conscious dependence on our part. And then finally, Tim highlighted the importance of being attentive to the word of God. It says in these last verses here, so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place. He talks about this true and God-given word that we have, and we do well to pay attention to it. And then, with this in mind, after talking about the true and correct prophecy, um, we're now shifting into warnings about false teaching. So this is where Tim is going to pick us up in chapter 2 this morning.
1: Thank you, Micah. I appreciate that, Uh, especially that first part. (laughs) Just had to say that. Sounds like Mark, doesn't it? it's good I hope you're enjoying these guys uh, coming up here and sharing a bit of a review for you both to help you in your own thinking and mindset to kind of get in gear of that I know it's been a week since we've been talking about this but also just so you see some of these individuals um, excuse me they're just a sampling of men that the Lord is uh, raising up Uh, next generation guys right and we're wanting to invest in them and Micah is one of uh, three guys that are meeting together they're halfway through a nine month apprenticeship program we're gonna actually be starting it up again in the fall for another group so just be praying for them as you think of them if you've turned excuse me to um, 2nd Peter and you're in chapter 2 we're gonna pick up right there and get started it says there in this first verse Let me turn here, too, there. It says, but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. So, as Micah was sharing with you at the end of chapter 1, if you remember, Peter said, look, what what we saw, this vision of Christ up on that mountain, when we saw him transformed, we had a preview of the glory of God that's going to be coming And the Old Testament has talked about all of these things, the promises, uh, all things that pertain unto life. Like There are things that have been spoken about, and and Peter is taking that and now beginning to make a shift to a warning. Now, I want to make sure that you are paying attention to that warning. I don't know about you, but when I hear someone say, hey, we're going to talk about false teaching, I kind of start shutting down. And the reason I shut down, I've been examining some of this, and I've learned that it's because I actually think that I am keen enough in regards to the things of Scripture that I can tag them. Oh, there's a false teacher. Oh, that's not true. Oh, there, don't, you're not going to fool me kind of stuff, right? And I think that's probably pretty uh, consistent for all of us when it comes to things that would, let's say, be blatant. For example, someone gets up in their teaching, and they're saying, listen, Jesus was just a wonderful man. He came here, and he died, and you know, that was just what Rome did to him, and boy, we should emulate him. And they deny the fact that he is God the Son. Well, we can pick that up, right? We know that kind of stuff. But it's interesting that Paul, in writing, remember I told you at the beginning that he's writing to believers, there are things that he wants for us to know because, or did I say Paul? Peter, sorry, that, that there's things that he wants us to know because they do indeed have an impact on our lives. And I'm hoping we can look through about six different consequences of if we believe the things that they are teaching, these are the things that begin to happen. My father used to say, if you believe a lie, you live wrongly, Right. That's what happens. We begin to live in accordance to what we believe. So here in this first verse, he says, there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. That's to be known. We're to recognize not to have our head in the sand thinking, oh, this doesn't go on today. Yes, it does. All the time, in fact. False teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. And right there, that's the first consequence of believing a lie. It says that they will secretly bring in destructive heresies. It literally is heresies of destruction. In other words, the teaching that they give, guess what that results in? It's a destroying kind of thing. It's it's truth and I put it in that quotes because we're using all this my truth and your truth and nowadays, right? So it's it's truth to them, if you want to say it that way, but what it results in is destruction. That's a consequence. Of believing a lie now you might say again I, I'm, I'm quick on this stuff Tim but this little phrase who who will secretly bring in it tells us that word tells us that, that what these guys are doing is there here's truth and they're weaving in with that untruth in other words it's not here's truth and and here's what I'm saying right and there's such a contrast it actually they're secretly it's actually woven in So we ought to be hearing some of this and heeding some of this and going, you know what, Lord, I'll bet it's possible for that to happen with me. Let me just give you an example. Pick anything in our society that we hold, that you think our society holds as a value that's contrary to what the Word of God says. And see if you can't find a church or a pastor or somebody who's teaching that very thing. Tim, we're celebrating sanctity of life. Tim just got up here and was talking about that. And I'm telling you right now that there are churches out there who are teaching on abortion. It's unbelievable. I can't hardly imagine that, to be honest with you. But that's what's happening. How does that happen? It's woven in, people. It's not just this blatant thing that's out there and everybody just goes, what? And no, no, it's woven in. They secretly will bring in destructive heresies. It says, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. Now, just so you know, these guys that he's talking about are unbelievers. You'll you'll see it as we go through the text. You'll see a number of words that are described about them that can only apply to an unbeliever. But the reality is this. It doesn't matter at some level whether it's an unbeliever or a believer who's falsely teaching. The damage is still the same. And so we ought to be on our guard. Here we need to know that he's talking about unbelievers because it's going to affect the way we interpret a number of passages. This one being one of them. Look at what it says here. Even denying the Lord who bought them. And you might read that and think, well, wait, aren't we talking about believers here? But it's interesting, this word who bought them, he's talking, there's several different words that he can choose. And and this one has the idea with it of like, the payment has been been made, but they're not accepting of that. It actually says there, even denying the Lord, they're saying, no, uh uh-uh. He's already paid the price, but they're not willing to accept that. And guess what? They bring upon themselves swift destruction. That's what's coming their way. Peter will talk about this more. Verse 2, check this out. Many will follow their destructive ways. So they're going to be effective. That's actually one of the consequences as well. There's actually two found here in this verse. First one, that there'll, there'll be destructive ways that many will follow. That's part of what happens. When you speak a lie, isn't it? Who was it who said, you know, if you tell that so many times, people begin to believe it type of an idea, right? And so it says there are destructive ways that people will follow. Do you know who he's talking about when he says many will follow? He's talking about believers. How do I know that? Look at the next part. Because of whom, those who follow the destructive ways, because of whom, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Oh, unbelievers, the world out there doesn't doesn't look at unbelievers acting and say, now you're being hypocritical, and I don't want anything to do with you. They're looking at believers who are saying one thing, but living another way. And that's where that's happening. You'll see this as we go through the text. It's a warning to you and I. He's saying many will follow. It's not just a few. He's using the term many. We are susceptible to this, people. We, we, we get we get sucked into I found this so many times in my own life. I start listening to certain things <laughs> I'm gonna step right into it Down the road from me. There's a sign when you drive by and this is what it says. Love is love. I Don't know if you've seen that right love is love. Is it true or not true? Yes, it's true. Love is love right <laughs> duh love is lo- love equals love duh. Yeah, that's true. What are they trying to say with that? They're trying to say that who you love shouldn't matter because love is love. Is that what God says? So in other words, I'm supposed to love my wife. That's what the Word of God says. But I can love anybody else I want. Right? Is that true or not? Do you see what I'm talking about? Love is love is true. And guess what's woven in right alongside it? And guess what? We get sucked into that kind of stuff. And what does it turn into for us? Destruction is part of the consequences of that many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed That's the other thing the consequence for you and I living out lies Is that the way of truth is blasphemed is spoken against and we become less of an impact on this world around us as far as for godliness I think I've told you this before, but, but I witnessed to a guy one time that had a clear understanding of the gospel but would not accept it. And the reason that he gave to me were two examples of two times when he engaged as an unbeliever with believers and both times the things that they did set him off. One time, this guy was so full of himself, so speaking as if he was great, And it just turned him off. The other time, in one of the darkest days of his life, he reaches out to a believer who literally pulled his hand back and would not shake his hand because I don't know you. You're not one of us. And turned and walked away right in the church building is what happened. And I hear this and I'm going, no wonder, no wonder he's in the condition that he's in of wanting nothing to do with it. Why? Because he's following after what, what Peter is saying. This is what happens. So it's part of the consequences of that. Now, verse 3 says, but by covetousness, they will exploit you. There's another consequence. When you believe a lie, guess what happens? You're being exploited. This is happening to us all the time, just so you know, right? Our world is full of this stuff. We're constantly being told, if you buy that, you will be happy. And we buy into it because we buy it, right? And then we find out that that didn't bring us the happiness that the commercial said it would do, so we got to go out and buy another one. It's like we never get this sometimes. So we're constantly in this state of being exploited. Well, guess what? It's happening in the spiritual realm too. By covetousness, because of a heart that they have of wanting, they will exploit you with deceptive words. Notice that the things that they're saying are not so blatant that you're going, hey, that's wrong. They're deceptive. That's weaving it in. So it alerts us to this thing of, I need to be paying attention to this. For a long time their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. God is bringing about the consequences to them for what they are doing. And that is an eternal consequence is what it is. Now, how do we know that's happening? Well, Peter gives us some uh, examples and three examples to help us to be conscious of and solid in our thinking. You know what, God, you're going to deal with them. In the meantime, I need to be on guard in regards to this. And this is what he says. Let's go through these verses real quick just to get that sense. For if God, he gives three, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, there's the first one. If God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and number two, he did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing uh, in the flood on the world of ungodly, There's, that's the second one, and the third one, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, he condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live properly. And delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. If all of that is true, he's saying, verse 9, Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. That's what's coming for them. And we ought not to be looking at this going, listen, because God not has, imi- it comes out of their mouth and a lightning bolt, wham! And because God doesn't do that kind of a thing, then therefore maybe we ought to pay attention and heed some of this. No. We would be fooled if we were to think that because God's judgment has not fallen on them in the time frame that we think that therefore God is idle and he doesn't care and maybe he's even endorsing what they're saying. No, go to what the Word of God says. Find out what the Word of God says. Compare what they're saying with what the Word of God says and if they don't agree with it, reject them. Don't reject the Word of God, right? That's what's happening. He picks this up then in verse 10 and he says... Now, and especially those, like God knows how to do that, right? He knows how to bring judgment to these false teachers. And he says, and especially those, now he's talking back again about these, that he's coming back full circle. And especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. There seems to be some some commonality seems to be within the realm of like this false teaching and one of those things of commonality is that there's a constant appeal to the sensual passions of the body. I'm not talking about the sexual, although that's part of it. But I'm talking about all those things that entice, all those things that would that would pull and draw us on a fleshly perspective. All those things that bring about that addictive quality of us out, right? Like all of those kind of. He says, "Those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness." That, that's what they're doing. And and there's something. You watch some of this, and you'll see. Over and over again. I mentioned this last night, just popped into my mind. Uh, Most of you are old enough to remember Guyana. Do you remember that? When over 900 people committed suicide. Do you know what else was also associated with that? The guy was named Jim Jones, I think it was. You know what? He was having affairs with a number of those women in his group. It just mixes in. It's just all, all all of that false teaching stuff just seems to have this kind of this aura of perversion within it too. It's an oddity. And he's saying, listen, these ones also, they're going to face the same thing here. He says they're presumptuous. That uh, it means literally like they're daring. They're, they're, they get out on the edge farther than, they get out like this on the edge, right? Like they're daring. They're right out there. They're self-willed, just, just totally consumed with themselves. You'll see a number of things about them. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. Like, like He's saying, listen, this is where these guys are at. Look, look at how their thinking is, whereas in angels in regards to... So you, do you remember in Jude when it says that, uh, that the Michael, the archangel, was contending with Satan over the body of Moses, it says. And, and what did he do? He didn't say, hey, I'm the archangel, buddy. God said this is is the body I'm supposed to be caring for. Don't you take it away from me. He didn't do that. He said, listen, Satan, the Lord rebuke you. He didn't take it upon, he wasn't presumptuous upon himself, right? He was leaning on God for these things. And so he's making a comparison with this and he's saying, look, these guys, they're full of themselves is what they are. Angels even don't do this. Verse 12, but these like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed. In other words, he's not saying they should be caught and destroyed. What he's talking about there is they're just like animals. They're unreasoning. They're, they're functioning kind of like along instinct, like an animal does, that you would think that with understanding, with knowledge, do you remember that word that Micah brought out? Do you remember that we've talked about that? There's two different words that are being used. One is an intellectual knowledge. The other is an even more complete or more full knowledge, meaning that it is precise, but it also has some level of experience with it. And, and, and they have this um, understanding, not so much the, the second one, but the first one, the intellectual knowledge, but then they deny that. They don't act in accordance to that. And he's saying they're like natural brute beasts is what they are. They speak evil of things that they don't understand, and they'll utterly perish in their own corruption and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. Their spots and blemishes... Carousing in their own deceptions, while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices, and are cursed children. Do you remember in chapter one? Do you remember it said in that uh, it said that we are to make our calling and election sure? Do you remember we talked a little bit about that? And this word "sure" means that like to be stable, to be firm, to be grounded. He's saying, guys, I want you to be settled down so that when these things come at you, you're not getting pushed around by them. You're not getting, all, oh, do I believe this? And oh, that one really sounds good, but boy, this guy's got a good argument too. And you're just, you're just drifting all over the place. Why? Because in that instability, then we become even more susceptible to this. Remember, he's warning believers. He's telling us. So he's given us the antidote, if you would, of, like, let's get grounded in the Word of God. Not just intellectually, but even further than that, into a full and precise and accurate understanding where we're even experiencing that truth affecting our lives. And as we do that, then we become more solid, more stable, settled down in the thing. He's our anchor, and we're holding on to him, and we're not pushed all over the place as a result of this. Look at some of these things here he says about them. He says that are spots and their blemishes, but he says um, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. In other words, they, they were, and you'll see this in other places in Scripture, Galatians has it, I've already mentioned Jude for you as well, but places where they'll come alongside and gather and be part of a fellowship of believers, but undermining, saying things that aren't true. Here's another example of some of the the teaching that they'll give. You've probably heard some of this before. I'm in Christ, so therefore I'm free to do whatever I want. Have you ever heard that? The label is liberty. And they'll take liberty, this, this concept of liberty that the Bible actually teaches. It's truth. And they'll weave in there something that's not true. You see, the Bible teaches that there is liberty, but it's liberty that's in Christ. Meaning that I'm free to do what God wants me to do. It's not a perversion of I'm free to do whatever I want to do. It's freedom for freedom's sake. That's what the Lord says, I've made you free for freedom's sake, right? I want you to be free, in other words. But it's free in me. It's not free in you. And I'll tell you what, our world is living in all kinds of examples of searching after freedom. Well, that's my truth. So that I can do what I want to do. How is it working out? If you follow that down the road, guess what it leads to? Destruction is what it does. So Peter keeps warning us. Guys, I'm telling you these things so that you'll be forewarned, you'll see this, and you'll make decisions in regards to truth as opposed to false, right? They're going to hang out with you. He says they have eyes full of adultery. In other words, what he's saying here is that that everything that they see, they're looking at it through that lens. They can't even look, in this regard he's talking about males, and he's saying they can't even look at women without having some kind of adulterous perspective in that. There's no healthy relational consideration. And it's just perversion is all that is. It says they have a heart trained in covetousness. In other words, they've exercised their heart in this so much that now they become more and more expert at it. They're trained in it. They're able, oh, this is, well, you want to get this? Well, this is what you say. This is how you do that. And and you draw people in. They're accursed children. Verse 15 says this, They have forsaken the right way. Again, we're seeing unbelievers. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor. Who loved the wages of unrighteousness? But he was rebuked for his iniquity, a dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. I don't know if you're familiar with that story, but again, this is one of those where Peter has already said, listen, you guys would do well to heed what the Old Testament has to say. And now he's referring back there to as the nation of Israel is, is, is coming through, like, and there's a, there's a land, a king, who says, hey, to this false prophet, Balaam, curse him, curse him. Oh, well. You're going to pay me to do that? Sure, I'll do that kind of stuff. And you know what the Lord used? His own donkey. I don't even know how this works. His own donkey turns and talks to him. That sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? God wanting to get his attention. Don't you curse my people. Oh, don't do that one, right? But Balaam wanted the money and peter refers to that helps us to you see they, these guys have gone the way same thing as balaam they want after the things that they gain as a result from it verse 17 these are wells without water have you ever been in a place at all when you are so thirsty and you know the old proverbial well with a bucket and you dump that thing down and you're waiting for it to splash when it hits the bottom. So you can pull it up and there's your you know, drink and oh, it's so refreshing. And only you throw that down there and all you hear is a clunk. And you pull that back up and there's sand, right? That's what he's describing. They're wells without water. They look good, but there's really no life-giving water there. They're clouds carried by a tempest. When I lived in Arizona, it was blue sky all the time. And then as the monsoon seasons would come, all of a sudden you'd see a cloud. And it was like the one and only cloud in this whole sky. It's not like around here. And you're going, oh my word, we're going to get rain because we hadn't had rain maybe for nine months. And everything was brown and dry. And you're like, here it comes. And this cloud would form and it would come across the valley and it would keep on going. And it wouldn't drop a drop on you. And then you'd find that two valleys over, finally, those guys got water. But us, we saw clouds carried by a tempest, but nothing in them. That's what he's describing. He's helping us to see what we're supposed to see. From whom, for whom is reserved the, dark, the blackness of darkness forever. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. Now, verse 18 gives us our our fourth consequence of believing a lie. And that is this, that we are allured, we are drawn through the lust of the flesh. It is the desires of our flesh, not the desires of the spirit within us, but it's the desires of our flesh that we find tempted, that we find enticed, and we are drawn to and allured to, and they appeal to that very thing. In warfare, you're supposed to know your enemy and you're supposed to know how your enemy fights. In fact, the Scripture tells us in regards to Satan, it says that we're not supposed to be ignorant of his devices. And it tells us that he masquerades as an angel of light. And it says no surprise then if his ministers also masquerade in the same way. They portray themselves as something that they're not really. And guess what? If we're not not careful about that, We get drawn in. And that's why he's saying all the way back in chapter 1, do you not know here that you have everything that pertains unto life and godliness? Do you not know what God says about you as being in his Son? And and into that, add these things. Here's what also you, like be trusting the Lord for perseverance. Be trusting the Lord for self-control. Be trusting the Lord for brotherly kindness and love. Like he lists out a number of things. That's because he wants us to be stable in those. So that when these things come our way, we, we can catch that. We understand that. Spirit of God pokes us in the ribs and says, "Ah, eh, something's not right about what that guy just said. Look it up in my word. You'll find I don't agree with what he said. What are you going to do about it, child? Right? <clears throat> so there's this allure through the lust of the flesh. Notice who they are drawing. Again, so that we're not fooled by this. The ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. He's talking about believers right there. Escaped. If you remember back in chapter 1, and I think it's verse 3 or something like that, he actually says that about us. That we have, we're partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world. He's speaking to us as believers. And so he's saying they're using all of these great swelling words. They're talking in such wonderful phraseology that makes it sound so good and so godly but it doesn't match up with what God says. And it says, then, they are drawing us, they are alluring us, those who have actually escaped from those who live in error. He's talking to the believer right there. Some of your versions, just so you know, some of your versions put in who are beginning to escape, almost as if these are people who are coming to that point of salvation. But there's a clerical error in there, and a number of translations have all followed after that. This is the only one that actually fits into the context of what we're talking about. And let me just tell you, context is huge when we're interpreting what Scripture has to say. When we're trying to understand what is it that he's talking about, how does this fit into what he's talking about? And it helps us to then delineate. That's why it's important for us to understand when he's talking about false teachers in this chapter, he's talking about unbelievers. But their effect is on us as believers. This is what he says then in verse 19. While they promise them liberty, those who have escaped, that's us, (laughs) while he promises them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. So there's this promise of liberty. It's what I illustrated before. There's this, hey, if you, this is freedom. So if you actually pursue, if you believe that truth, quote, truth, that you're free to do what you want to do, it will take some time, but as you live life, guess what you will find? It actually it has turned into bondage for you. This is one of the consequences of believing a lie. You think, you're deceived into thinking, that you're operating in freedom when in reality you're a slave to your sin. Do you remember what it says in Romans? You and I now are no longer slaves to sin, but we can act that way, right? We can respond to that. We've been freed up. The blood of Christ has freed me from the power of sin. I am not a slave to it. You are not a slave to it. You do not have to sin anymore. How freeing is that? You talk about liberty. The more I understand that, then. I begin to walk in that truth. But when I look around at all of the temptations that are on me and so many times that I give in to those things, I can, be, I can begin to conclude, you know what, I'm not free from sin. And I begin to just give in to that. What's the use anyways? I try not to do this and then I do that again and i got to agree with God about it as a sin and I do it all over. It's a sin that easily besets me. Pff, give up, just give in. The Lord says, no, 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 no. You need to understand here. I have freed you up from that. Your circumstances don't affect that truth. This truth is true. Your circumstances need to be lived out in light of that. He says, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. They're hypocrites. They're saying this is what you can have, but they themselves aren't even enjoying that because they've been brought under bondage. Verse 20, for if, and this is the case, if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, he's talking to the ones that the false teachers are alluring, right? If after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Do you know what word knowledge that's, that's using right there? It's that full, complete, experiential, in its entirety, understanding, knowledge, word. In other words, he's talking about believers there. That those, if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, how? Through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As we have grown in our understanding of all that and are living that life out, if we are allured in, if we are snared by that, guess what happens? They are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. That's a shocking statement, wouldn't you say? Here's another consequence right here, that we are entangled again and overcome. Now, just so you know, he's not saying that we lose our salvation. You can can push that one right out of your mind. But he's saying as a believer, if you start buying into some of that kind of thinking, guess what's going to happen? You are going to be entangled in it again. And this is not a like plump you in, boom, there you are. Now I'm stuck. This is kind of one of those proverbial frog in the boiling water, you know, where the temperature is rising and and all of a sudden you go, how did I get here? You're entangled. you've, You've walked into that, right? This is the need for us to be in the Word of God. This is the need for us to be responding to the Spirit of God. This is the need for us as believers to be impacting each other. Why? Because we're susceptible to this entangling is what we are i'm not trying to scare you here peter is trying to say hey i'm going to give you a warning i got to tell you something here because i'm leaving this earth and it's important to know they are again entangled in them and overcome that's ultimately what there's an overcoming we begin to give into that and now we're just living out those very things that we have escaped from before not because we have to because we choose to that's shocking He says, this is verse 21, for it would have been better for them. He's talking about those believers who have come to this full knowledge. They're they're growing, they're mature, but now they've listened to what these teachers are telling them and they've gotten entangled and they've become overcome. And he says, guess what? It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having washed who are wallowing in the mire. Staggering, isn't it? Now, again, (laughs) understand what he's talking about here. He's saying, listen, it's not good for us to be ignorant of the things of God. But it's better for us to walk in a true state of ignorance and need to have light revealed to us in order for us to, oh, that's what God is saying about that? Okay, now I'm growing. Then to know all of those things, and this again is the same word about this experiential knowledge, to be deeply into it, so to speak, to buy in, to know what he's talking about and have that experiential understanding and then turn away from that. That's a worse situation, is what he's saying. Because when you turn away from that, where do you turn to? Well, it's only the things of this world. You have no other choice. You either adhere to, believe in, rely on what God says, or it's everything else. And everything else is false. Only what God says is true. And so if we're going to move off of truth, he's saying, listen, it's better if you're over here in this position of ignorance than it is to be in that position. This is not a good one. Don't hear him wrong, right? We want to grow. That's why he's saying, make sure, right? Like you need to be solid in this. You need to, you need to be diligent about these things. Not so that we're biting every fingernail we've got and we're worried and, oh my word, have I done enough of this? But that there's a heart condition where we are saying, God, by your grace, I want for you to work this down deep into my life. I, I I want for the life of Christ to be like bread, like dough, right, kneaded into my life, worked in so that it becomes part of, of, of the very fabric of my life, so to speak. I've already been made a divine a partaker in the divine uh, nature, right? He's given me a new nature. Lord, work that into my life so that the life of Christ again is displayed in my mortal body. I keep telling you, this is what, this is what it's about. <clears throat> it is better for them not to have known the way of righteousness. This is the way. This is the path. That's what he's talking about. He's not saying it's better for them not to have gotten saved. That's not what that phrase means. It's, it's This is where righteousness goes. It's down that path. That's the way I ought to be going. I've heard stories of, of people who've been living together. They've gotten saved and they continue to live together until finally someone says, hey, do you, do you know what the Word of God has to say about that? No, I don't. Well, God would actually prefer that you two be married if you're going to live together, not living together in an unmarried state. Really? I didn't know that. For the last year, we've been believers, but we've been living this because we didn't know. And now the light comes on, right? Shines on them. They begin to respond. You and I are the same way. It's the light. As we study the Word of God, it begins to reveal, oh, there's some needs in my life. And we want to trust God for those things. Rather than be in this place where Peter is having to warn us, guys, if you buy into this and then you turn away from that, that's a problem. Why? Because you have no other place to go unless you come back to that. Everything else will take you into destruction is what it will take you to. A warning to be heeded, right? Well, that ends our chapter 2. Peter is going to start talking now about the future because that also is going to affect how he wants us to live what God is saying through him and aren't you so grateful that God has in his perfect wisdom has seen fit to write this stuff down for us so we're going to be talking now next week about like what does God say is coming in the future and hopefully that will even prepare us we we can't deal a lot into that but when Mark gets into Daniel eventually we'll get into some of this more and and see from all of that how that understanding should be affecting us and the way that we live just like how our understanding of false teaching should be affecting us and the way that we live too right so let's keep trusting god for this it will be another installment next week let me pray for us father oh man your word is powerful it's amazing to us and the study of it and we begin to parse it and and rightly divide and and see tenses and see words and see context and 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 see a big picture and and the painting that you're that you're that you're drawing through all of that astounds us it shouldn't really god because um well you're the author of all this and you're brilliant and so you do brilliant work but when we read these things father help us to help us to heed them Help, help us to catch what you're trying to tell us so that it, it has an impact on our lives. N- not from a fear and a, and a trying to protect ourselves from it, but from a, for a recognition that, God, we need you, and we come running to you, and we know that you are truth, and your word is truth, and, and so we make effort to be diligent, as Peter told us to do. These are the kind of things, Father, that we're asking You for. The longing of our heart, collectively, I'm speaking on behalf of us, Father. That You would teach us so that we might grow, the roots might go deeper and deeper into that solid rock called Jesus Christ. That the life of Your Son is displayed through our lives. And people, rather than blaspheming the way of truth, are gravitating towards that and learning about it themselves and putting their trust in you just like we have to. Use us in that kind of a way, would you, Father? We thank you for that. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.